How many of you have ever planned a wedding? They are stressful times, right? Very stressful. And you get the sensitive people and the not so sensitive people. And as you heard from Andrea, I don't deal well with the sensitive people. <laughs> as some of you might know. But um, there, there are always offenses. There's always somebody who's not happy or with a choice or the whatever was done. The other stressful thing is finding a venue, right? Because the venue determines how many people you can invite. So if the venue can only hold 60, it is so stressful for the bride and groom to invite 60 guests. You know that feeling, right? There's, there are even websites. I try to count them. Not possible. There are many websites that will help the bride and groom ask questions as to who to invite. Do you know, or have any of you ever experienced it, those awkward moments when somebody believes they're coming to your wedding <laughs> and they're not on your list? You've done that, Joanne. <laughs> yes. Yeah, many times. Oh, okay. <laughs> But tonight I have good news for you. You are all invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Every single one of you. Not one is not going to receive an invitation. And on your seats, we've given you an invitation. And feel free to take it home. We also... There might be questions you have afterwards, and you're welcome, but this is your official wedding invitation. You are invited. Sorry. Sorry, keep speaking to me. Says, I'm going out now, okay. So, we all know the beginning of the story. It was the beginning of a love story. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. He created everything that you can see and everything you can't see. He created it. And Colossians 1 verse 16 says it's all about Jesus. For by him all things were created, on earth, visible and invisible, Thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities, all were created for him. What was dark was flooded with his light. What was chaos was set in order by him. And then he created the first man and the first woman. What glory was revealed in them. An expression of the Godhead. God, our Elohim, our three-in-one God, revealed himself in creation. We tend to think Eden was perfect, right? We often talk about, oh, if only, if only. No, I don't know if they ate an apple. I think they ate a fig. <laughs> Just because in my mind, fig leaves, fig, yeah, makes sense. <laughs> 
But the, the, we, we often think that just that perfection, I so want it again. And we long for it. But you know what? It's not found in Eden. Eden was not perfect because there was the propensity for sin. Because there were two trees in the garden. There was one, the tree that would offer absolute satisfaction in Jesus. Nothing missing. No, there, there would be no, everything of value, everything was put into um, uh, that tree. And you know what? God said, you can eat of this tree. Everything that will ever satisfy you is in this tree. Contentment. And if they made this choice to eat of this tree, they would have crushed the head of the enemy. Because that Eden, Satan could come in. And he could tempt. Then there was a tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If they chose to eat of this tree, there was a serious consequence. Death. Separation from God. In fact, in Genesis 3, verse 22, God said when they ate of the tree, he said, they have become like us. So it had the power to make you God of your own life. You could make your own decisions, live your own life. You did not need God for anything. And of that tree, he said, do not eat. And that's the tree they chose to eat. They failed the test that God put in front of them. Have you ever wondered why God would test mankind like that? Why did he put that tree there? And there's something that happened a long time ago when Satan fell, when he was so full of pride and he fell. And the book of Job, a book, a, a book of wisdom, the book of Job says that Satan would come into the presence of God and um, bring accusations against the saints. And I think there's something of that in it, I think. Don't quote me, I think. There's something of that in it, is that maybe Satan challenged him. Oh, if you put a tree there, I guarantee they won't worship you. They'll want what they're not supposed to have. And God said, okay, like he did in Job, you can test them. But they failed. They looked at the tree and they saw it was delightful. They stretched their hands out and took a bite. And I wonder if Eve didn't, as she took the bite and passed it to Adam, if there wasn't a sour taste afterwards as they realized that what they wanted desperately and what they got, they swallowed the lie. And a curse came upon them. They were in bondage. 
But there's hope. Genesis 3, very soon in the story, God gives the gospel. God sends an invitation to them and says to them that Eve will have an offspring that will crush the head of the serpent. And he would do that by the bruising of his heel. That was the first invitation that was sent out. There's someone coming that is going to annihilate, <laughs> do something about sin that you, will, that you won't be able to do yourself. And that was Jesus, as we know. But I also wonder if that maybe when Eve now banned from the garden, if when she fell pregnant with Cain and gave birth to him, if there wasn't something of perhaps this is the savior. Perhaps this is the one that's going to open those gates back into Eden. Because there's a very interesting scripture and if you look at it in your Bible, I hope you brought them with you. If you look in your Bible, it says in chapter 4, verse 1, that Eve said, I have gotten a man of the Lord. Translators say, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. But that's not what it says in Hebrew. In Hebrew, Eve says, I have gotten a man of the Lord. Perhaps that just showed how she parented him, hey? Maybe. That he would be her savior, and he wasn't. How disappointing that she gave birth to a sinner who looked just like her, who could not save her, who could not take her back into that relationship with God that she had, mis uh, had given up by being tempted and failing the test. Then God chose a man, Noah. Noah was told to build an ark. For 120 years, he gave out an invitation to everyone that if they just had faith that God was going to send a judgment and get on the ark with him, they would be saved. And what did they do? They partied around the ark. They mocked him. 120 years they were given that invitation. And the only ones on the ark were Noah and his family. Then God chose out of one of Noah's sons, Shem. And out of Shem, he chose Abraham of the line of Shem. And Abraham was given an invitation. And the promise of this invitation was that Abraham would have an everlasting uh, nation. And actually, Acts tells us that when he was told he would be a nation, he was alone. Him and Sarah had no children. But an everlasting nation, which is Israel, he would have an everlasting land which Hebrews tells us is heaven. And he would have 
an everlasting seed that Galatians says is Jesus Christ. That descendant would come from Israel and he would be the promised Messiah. And you know what? Abraham believed it. And then the word says he, he was, it was counted to him as righteousness. He was saved. He was born again by believing in the coming Messiah. The invitation was given to him and he accepted it by believing. Then God chose Israel as his wife. And you can read that through Hosea right the way through scripture. And he said to, and he gave Israel a commission. And it sounds a lot like ours. Go into all the world and take the light. After sending prophets, after sending teachers, after sending so many people to Israel to get them back on track, they failed to do that. They instead became belly button gazers. You know, those ones that it's all about me. I know you don't know people like that. Because I know you're not one of them. (laughs) After the prophet Malachi, God was silent for 400 years. Silent. There was not a new prophet. There was nothing. Israel was supposed to do what God had commanded her to do. Go into all the world and take the light. Go and reveal me to other nations. And they did nothing. And then, and then, in the fullness of time, our Messiah was born, the second Adam. The second Adam coming into this world full of thorns, cursed land, bloodshed, full of lust, full of desires that were so contrary to God's holiness. And Jesus stepped in. And once again, Satan tempted Jesus in exactly the same way. What he did with Eve, he, in what he, how he, um, I can't get the word, how he tempted her was you can be God of your own life. You don't have to. You don't have to need God for anything. And that was the same temptation he gave Jesus. You don't have to suffer. You can have the crown right now. You don't need to obey God. I can give it all to you. And it was his to give. It was Satan's to give to Jesus. But Jesus did not fail. The second Adam passed the test. And he died on the cross for us. He was buried in a tomb and he rose again on the third day. And 40 days later, he was taken up into heaven. And the saints were told, in the same way you see him leaving, in the same way he's coming back. And that promise is sure and amen. In the garden, when Adam and Eve realized they were naked, they made for themselves garments out of fig leaves. And God killed an animal to cover their nakedness. That was a picture of Jesus' blood. 
that he would shed for us that would cover our nakedness. It's only by that blood that we can accept this invitation to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Eternity. Can you imagine it? I love asking uh, children questions because you find out a lot about the family that way. <laughs> but I love asking how they know Jesus loves them because they, they just, there are no boundaries to their, their imagination. And I love asking children, how long is forever? How long is forever? Yeah, it's forever. <laughs> it is never, ever, 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 ever going to end. And that's eternity. In heaven, with Jesus, with no threat of ever being thrown out again. What a promise, what a promise, what a promise. Jesus said when he died, it is finished. It is finished. It never has to happen again. He crushed the enemy's head. So a bit of my testimony. I come from a dual religious background. I... Uh, my mom was one religion, my dad was another, and somehow for me it was not confusing, maybe because I'm blonde, but I could, <laughs> I kind of thought I covered all my bases, you know, <laughs> whatever, if I could relate, you know, to the Jews and to the Gentiles. <laughs> so, um, I, well, and I was, uh, when I went to a, a religious school, and I did all the right um, sacraments, for want of a better word. You know, I followed everything. If they said I had to be there on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I was there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I always considered myself a very good Christian girl. If you ever asked me, if I died, would you go to heaven? I, I said, of course. Of course I'm going to go to heaven. I do everything right. And my daughter's here, she can tell you. <laughs> I'm still right here. But I if people said, you know, I'm just thinking of all the questions people ask. You know, are you saved? Do you know Jesus? Of course. I never lacked uh, assurance. I never did. I felt sorry for the rest of you who weren't going to be there, but I was going to be there. Because, <laughs> man, I could judge you. You're not so good. Maybe you're not going to make it. Yeah, maybe, maybe. You know, if I liked you, you were definitely coming with me. <laughs> but after I was married, I went to a Bible, I was invited to a Bible study. Actually, I was uh, working in the children's church as a teacher, and somebody overseeing the children's church didn't think I was saved. So they invited me to a Bible study. So the first Bible study, oh, and then the other thing is, she had a method that if she thought you were the least likely to continue, she had it at your house. So she had it at my house. <laughs> I was so offended because I'm so good, I see things out that I start. So, so then the first lesson was about Jesus, the invitation to accept him as your Lord and Savior. 
And afterwards, she challenged me. You know, she went around the room. She challenged everybody. Not everybody felt they knew Jesus, so she prayed with them. And then she got to me, and I said, no, of course I'm okay. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I mean, I've got a pedigree. And she said, okay. (laughs) She still didn't think I was, however. So I went uh, the following week. It was again in my home. And uh, this time, the invitation was the Holy Spirit working in and through you. The Holy Spirit in intimately joined together where he becomes your all in all. And then I knew I was lacking something. Then I knew there was a part of me that was still, not a part of me, all of me, that was boss of my own life. The same thing that was offered to Eve, I chose how I would serve God. I chose how I would worship him. I chose how to live out my dreams, my ambitions, everything I want, everything I dreamt and, and, and uh, was headed towards had nothing to do with Jesus. He was the add-on, like, Lord, please just bless me while I do this and bless, you know, that kind of thing. And when I need you, like, oh, I'm in trouble now, please help me, you know, those prayers when you're off to the principal's office. <laughs> but I had never received him. I had never made him my Lord and my master. And that's my challenge for you tonight. Is Jesus your all in all? If you died, would you go to heaven? Not because of anything you did, but because of everything he did. If you want to follow with me in Matthew 22... This parable is for the church. It's not for Israel. God is not finished with Israel yet. That's God's wife. We're in a different dispensation. We are Jew and Gentile in one body. The church. The bride of Christ. Matthew 22 from verse 1. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my, my, um, sorry, my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized the servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. And then he said to his servants, The wedding feast. Is ready. But those invited are not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all. 
whom they've found. Both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came into the wedding hall and he looked at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment on. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The father, father God is the king. He has given a wedding feast for his son. He sent the prophets to invite Israel and they turned him down. He again sent prophets and servants and Israel turned him down. In fact, they killed him. He then sent his servants to the Gentiles who were not worthy said, come in, all of you, all of you are invited. But then the father looked, and there was one without a wedding garment. And I imagined myself there. I thought I would go to heaven. I thought I was okay. But I would have been there without the covering of his righteousness. Without his garment on me. That only happens when the Holy Spirit seals me for that day. It's not about rituals. It's not about anything. There is nothing you can do. All you're doing is just taking fig leaves to cover yourself. If you're doing anything in the flesh. In fact, Isaiah calls them filthy garments before God. It's trusting in his righteousness. It's being filled with him. And he becomes my all in all. I no longer get on with my own hopes and dreams and ambitions. I die to that. I now take my bridegroom's dreams, visions. He, my work now is to go into all the world and make disciples. Exactly what was given to Israel and they failed. God has given the bride of Christ this task. I can't be a belly button gazer. I can't just let everything be wrapped up about me or my happiness, my joy. There's such a scary scripture in Matthew 7, 22. When Jesus stands and faces us and I stand there and I say, you know, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I did amazing works. I healed the sick. I cast out demons. I did all of that in your name. And Jesus looks at me and says, I do not know you. So my challenge is, does your bridegroom know you? Thank you.